My name is Craig DiMartino, and in 2002, while climbing in Rocky Mountain National Park, I was uh, in an accident that ended up changing the entire course of my life in so many different ways and on so many different levels. Craig DiMartino grew up in the small town of Exeter, 10 miles west of Scranton, Pennsylvania. From a young age, he was an adventurer, a risk taker, and you could even say a daredevil. Discovering mountain climbing was just the thrill that Craig was looking for, and right out of high school, the extreme hobby became a fixture in his life. Not only that, but he dreamt of one day going pro. That may have played a part in Craig moving in the years that followed to the mountainous state of Colorado. By the age of 37, Craig had become a husband and a father, but made plenty of time for climbing balancing parenting responsibilities with his wife. 20 years ago, in 2002, he set off on a climbing adventure that he never would have expected to change the trajectory of his life. Craig left for the day with a friend, while his wife Cindy watched their two young kids, and they set off to climb Rocky Mountain National Park. For those who have been there, those mountains are truly a sight to see. And although it could make for some steep and dangerous climbs, Craig had a lot of experience under his belt. They got their equipment ready and embarked on a day of adventure. That equipment would include harnesses, climbing ropes, and of course, the essential gear worn like helmets and climbing boots. Craig and his friend would take turns of who was the climber and who was the belayer. The layer is the term for the person on the ground handling the rope that the climber's harness is attached to. This is essential so that following a climb, the climber's partner is slowly and safely brought back down to the ground with the necessary friction required. As Craig made his way up the mountain on his turn climbing, he smiled and took in the beauty. He continued climbing, letting the belayer know just how far he intended on going. At about 100 feet, Craig leaned back in awe of the magnificent view. After a few deep breaths and taking in every angle, he shouted down, All right, I'm heading back. He grabbed the rope as he bounced his boots off the mountain to begin the smooth descent. But his friend must have misheard him because in the blink of an eye, there was no friction coming from his harness. Just free fall speed, 100 feet straight down. The fall was devastating. And although Craig was alive and fully conscious, he knew right away that he was seriously injured. It even felt as though these could be his final moments alive. 100 feet is like a 10-story office building. So I kind of stepped backwards off of a 10-story office building and fell the entire distance uh, into the talus blocks and broke. I compound fractured my heel and my talus, which is the bone that sits on top of your heel. And then my tibia and my fibular, I uh, broke my back at L2, which is kind of right through your belly button. And I broke it so bad, like I don't even have that bone anymore. It just, it crushed my spine down and just exploded that disc completely. And then that shockwave just kind of keeps moving up. So it went up, it broke my ribs on my right side. Uh, then tore my shoulder and my elbow, my shoulder, my labrum, and my elbow. I broke all the bursa sacs, which are the lubrication sacs in your joints, broke all those, and then broke my neck at C5, C6, which is kind of right through your Adam's apple. 
And then I crumpled down onto the, the talus blocks, which are the big blocks of the cliff that have fallen off over the, over the years. And that's where I laid, um, my right leg, I severed the artery in my right leg. So I was bleeding really badly. Um, and my partner, he was sitting about 10 feet from where I hit the ground. So he quickly ran over and he had a little bit of first aid training. He said, you know, he said like, looking at you, I knew we were drastically underprepared for that kind of an accident. Nobody is prepared for that, but he did know enough to put a tourniquet on. So he put a tourniquet on my right leg to stop the bleeding. And then we kind of got our act together and made a plan. I was awake the whole time. So I was awake. We, we made a plan for him to basically run in. We were near Estes Park, about four miles away. So he was going to drive into Estes uh, with my truck and get help. But then he had a cell phone and he just on a whim took it out to see if he had a signal. And he did. We were next to a thousand foot cliff. It's either, like you just don't get service usually. So he had service. He called and Rocky Mountain Rescue, who does all the rescues in the park, uh, came about 45 minutes later, which is kind of crazy. Um, we were four miles into the backcountry, 45 minutes down the trailhead. And this dude shows up, you know, 45 minutes basically after I hit the ground, which is insane. He was a climber. He knew, uh, he not only knew what climb I was on, but he actually knew exactly how to get there on these like shortcuts that the park service kind of has access to. So they took me, they started to get me out. They needed to get me to a clearing for a helicopter to land. Um, and that took about five hours because we were up pretty high on this cliff side. So they had to like lower me down the talus blocks and get me onto a trail where they could then run to this opening. Um, took me to a hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado, and basically took me in and told my wife at that point when, when they got there, um, I was destroyed and they just said we're going to try to you know do as much as we can but he has about an hour to live and so you're going to need to do all this paperwork like what do you want us to do and she just said anything you can obviously to, to save him so they started on my spine they ended up fusing my back l1 through four and then they worked on my neck and then they worked on my feet and my feet were broken so bad they just kind of bandaged them they put some hardware in my right leg uh like screws pins plates and my left leg they bandaged up the idea was they were going to amputate both my legs, but I had lost so much blood because of that artery. They wanted me to kind of stabilize a little bit and I couldn't breathe on my own. So I was on a ventilator and then they put me in ICU from there. They, they kind of stopped, put me in ICU. I stayed in ICU for five days on a ventilator, um, came aware, uh, probably halfway through that where I woke up and kind of, there was the doctor and didn't, you, you don't really know how badly you're hurt. You just know you're hurt. And the doctor kind of explained, okay, you broke your legs really badly. You broke your back really badly and your neck is broken. So you can't move. I was tied down, which is really disconcerting when you're, when you're tied down. Um, and they kind of kept me there until I could breathe on my own and then moved me to orthopedic care for two weeks um, where we did surgery. We kind of did a surgery every other day to kind of patch things back together. Um, and then they moved me to assisted, like an assisted living place for the next two months. I stayed there where Again, surgeries, uh, I started doing hyperbaric oxygen treatments because my right leg uh, wouldn't heal. They had cut a flap to put all this hardware in and it wasn't healing. And then the HBO treatments kind of help you heal faster that you have more oxygen in your, your blood system for two hours. And so did that for two months and then, then went home. I had a cast on my right leg, was walking on crutches. My left leg was uh, out of its cast, but you know, this was probably three months after the accident. So my, my left leg had settled down, my back was fused and settling down. I still had to wear like a, like a case around my, my chest, you know, like a brace. And then my neck was in a C collar. Um, 
And I stayed like that for about a year and sort of got a bit better, you know, could walk without crutches, could walk without a walker, took the back brace off um, and started to experiment with like, do I want to go back and climb again? And uh, I still had a cast on my leg. Never. I actually never got out of the cast on my right leg and glued at one point, glued some climbing rubber onto it and went climbing with my wife outside just to see what I thought of it all. Um, I was with our kids and we were climbing up in Wyoming and it terrified me again. I was just, just could not get my head around that. But then at 18 months after the accident, the, my right leg just started having a lot of trouble, like with this nerve disorder I developed and, um, went back in and I couldn't, you know, me and myself and the orthopedic surgeon were, were talking and he said, you know, it's not going to heal anymore. Like, this is it. Like you're going to have to wear a cast. You're, you, you know, if you step off a curb wrong with a shoe on, you'll just shatter your ankle again. So I decided at 18 months to amputate uh, eight inches below my patella tendon, which is just so about a quarter of the way down my, my shin is where I amputated. That amputation was on December 3rd of 2003. Over a year-long journey to that point, which Craig described in surgeries, recovery, and rehabilitation, most would be paralyzed with fear to get back on the mountain. Craig, however, was anxious and ready to reintroduce his passion. Amazingly, by April that following year, Craig would begin climbing again, using a prosthetic. Simply climbing for fun, however, was not nearly enough to satisfy the athletic aspirations of DiMartino. In the years that followed, he would break records. First amputee to climb Yosemite's El Capitan in under 24 hours. First amputee to climb the nose of El Capitan in a day. And several other accolades. His incredible ability, passion for climbing, and never-quit attitude would inspire those who heard his story, which would then lead to other major opportunities. DiMartino would link up with author Bill Romanelli to co-author his memoir, After the Fall, a climber's true story of facing death and finding life. He was also tapped by the Wonder Channel to host Fight to Survive, featuring different survival stories similar to his own. In 2018, he would be spotlighted in the short film Craig's Reaction, an official selection for the Mountain Film and Book Festival, Adventure Film Festival, and Mountain Film, an annual documentary film festival held in Colorado during Memorial Day weekend. Most notably, though, Craig would go on to become a highly sought-after motivational speaker. Now 57, still married, but now with adult children, Two decades later, his story has gone on to inspire both disabled and fully abled individuals alike, with the message that we can all get back up, no matter how severe the fall. Follow Craig on Instagram, at Craig Damp, for some incredible and scenic photographs of his climbs. And visit him online at craigdemartino.com. It's there that you can get in touch with him. And if your company or organization is looking for a motivational speaker with an incredible story to tell, we'd highly recommend it. Huge thanks again to Craig for the exclusive interview for In the Wild and lending his voice to our show. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting installment of In the Wild. 
To hear more captivating stories of real-life survival, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Stay prepared because you never know when you may find yourself in the wild.